0: You know, I'm going to be in Psalm 84. I'll begin in uh, verse 1 again. I'm just going to read through the first four verses uh, this morning and kind of uh, recap what we've been talking about in this psalm. Um, on Wednesday nights, I really want to encourage you to come out if you're able to make it on, on Wednesdays. We're learning new songs. And um, it's it's such a it's such a fun thing for me, but it's an extremely intimidating thing for me. Um, I love to sing. Uh, when I'm up here at the building uh, through the week, I, I, I sing all the time. Um, but when I'm around people that know how to sing, I I, I, I get nervous. Um, I sit here on Sunday mornings and look at the lineup right here in this row. I, I sit between Steve, Seth, and David every single Sunday morning. I'm right in the middle of them. They did that on purpose to try to, to give me some guidance, you know. Um, I get nervous when it comes to singing a part, um, I sing lead. That's just what I sing. And so when I'm focused on the notes, which I, I'm told you're supposed to do, it's, it's, it's more difficult for me. And I was thinking about that and, and how intimidated I am. And even though I'm loving Wednesday nights, why am I singing with people like this? Um, they know what they're doing. Um, they can hit the notes. I can read the notes. That's fine. That's easy. Give me an instrument. I'll do better. But but to make my voice do what my eyes are seeing, that's different. And you don't want to join in sometimes because you feel like your voice isn't part of that. And, and I was thinking how true that is in my faith. Um, uh, moved into our old house the, when we first moved to Fort Collins was full of fruit trees. All kind, every fruit tree you can imagine was in our backyard. And I was super excited. We had like seven or eight big plum trees. We had this huge um, um, peach tree. We had a pear tree. We had about seven apple trees, different kinds of apples. We had the cherry tree. We had the grapes. We had every kind of fruit out there. And, and I was trying to take care of all this stuff, and I didn't realize how hard it would be to take care of fruit. Um, the squirrels ate everything. The birds ate everything. The insects got to everything. And I, and I had such a hard time. Um, and one day I was outside and I heard my trees talking to each other. And, and the cherry tree was putting out these amazing blossoms, and it was doing so well, and it was beautiful, and they were the good kind of cherries, not the sweet kind, but the tart kind that you can make pies out of, that kind of cherry. And and I was out, and they were talking, and they said he was like, look at me, I've got all this fruit, and the pear tree's got nothing. He's got nothing to show for himself. And all the apple trees. And I'm like, well, those are fall fruits, man. You give them their place. And they would boast about what they were doing. And this tree is not putting out the same fruit that I'm putting out. And, and, And I thought about... Their conversation that they were having and how they were boasting over one another and all of this stuff, stuff. And even though the plums would put out thousands of plums, they just ended up nasty, gooey junk all over the ground that you couldn't mow over. It was uh, plum never, ever get plum trees. Um, it, it just nasty, right? And I thought about our faith and, and sometimes how we do that. Um, that we see our gifts, and this is actually what First Corinthians is largely about. This is how Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. Wow, you guys are different from one another. Respect that, and allow each other to be different. Allow God's fruit to be what it is in you, um, and and sometimes. You're the kind of person, and the reason I'm sharing this with you is because of a phone call I got this last week from an amazing man. I'm going to tell you about him in a, in a, in a minute. But he was saying, this is so much what I want to be, and I want to be more like this person that I admire. But that's, it's just not my nature, and I don't know how to do that. the truth is this. You, as a child of God, simply root yourself in the Holy Spirit and watch to see what fruit he provides. You don't have to look like the person next to you. And you sure don't need to tell the person next to you to look like you. But root yourself in the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of who you are will come out. And you don't need to push yourself to be something. Well, you do need to push yourself to be something that you aren't. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But you don't need to push yourself to be something other than what the Holy Spirit creates in you. That is what he's designed to do in our lives. And so simply rooting ourselves, And that's so relevant today's, to today's society because we are so caught up in right now. We're excited about our differences. That's why Myers-Briggs took off the way it did. That's why right now Enneagram is trending, right? These things take off because we're finally discovering, wow, I am this set of letters. I am this number, if, that's, if there's anything to it. I don't know. Um, wow, we're different. We think differently. As a church, different things excite us. We like different types of music. We like different types of things. And when we come together as a body, we are coming together as different parts of a whole. Now, in the Psalms, we grew up with the Psalms. You probably grew up with the Psalms the way I did. You think of it as a man sitting by a river. Um, that's flowing, and he's playing his harp, and there's this is beautiful scene, and it's serene. And that's, and I think that that's what it's been many times in histories, right? But the Book of Psalms was largely a loud shout from thousands, if not millions, of people gathered together. And if you can just hear a nation coming together with one voice coming before God. And we're going to talk a little, bit, a little bit of how these psalms might have been heard in David's time. I don't know if you've ever been to a football game, uh, like a big football game, um, and a massive stadium. I just found out recently that NFL teams have fight songs and stuff like that. I didn't think they did. I, 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 I don't know any of them. I didn't grow up with NFL. We didn't really care. We cared a whole lot about college football and high school football. And um, I just remember, if you go to the Longhorn Stadium, and you would have, hear the fight song, and it's going, and you're surrounded by 100,000 people in the stadium. 100,000 people, and when it gets to the right point, and everybody knows to do it at the same time, you hear, yay, orange, yay, white, yay, Texas, fight, 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 orange, orange and white, orange and white, yay, Texas, fight. It's super silly, I know, but... <laughs> But in all the Aggies are like whoop, uh, but <laughs> but 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 it's this thing that at once you hear. Wah! Hold on to that because that happens in this psalm. I believe these are the first four verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty? My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart. And my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home. The swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. And then you hear this word. And you might pronounce it Sila. You might pronounce it Selah. You might pronounce it Salah. The first thing I'm going to tell you is all of those are correct. You don't need to worry about how to pronounce this because people who are fluent in Hebrew disagree on this. And there's a camp for all of those things. More importantly, you're not supposed to pronounce it at all. Just like when you're singing, you don't say D.S. Alkota when you're singing, right? This this is is This is, this is an, an instruction. But it does not mean... It can't mean what I grew up thinking it meant. I grew up thinking that this word meant rest, pause, reflection. Most of you heard something like that. The word in Hebrew means raise up, lift up. That's what it means. Here's the weird thing. This word closes four of the Psalms. Can't be a rest if it's closing the Psalm. It's at the end. Most likely, people, scholars are now arriving more at the idea that this was a congregational, um, I don't know if you hear like the Spartan, or if you hear just a cheer, or whatever it is, but this 100,000 people in Texas Longhorn Stadium sound like thunder. At the time of David, there were approximately 5 million Israelites. I don't know how many would have been around Jerusalem. I don't know how many would have been here, but it was a pilgrimage that people would make and they're singing these psalms and these kinds of things. It would have sounded like thunder. And I believe the Selah is something where you would just hear this raise, this praise. And he says this, those people that dwell in your house were ever praising you. Just hear as one voice People who are divided. People who have got junk in their lives. As one voice, they come up and they praise Him. And then He says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And before I focus on those words, I want to just kind of address something that I would missed last week. In this previous verse, uh, we talked about Salah. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. Um, I want you to know this, and this is so relevant to Steve's class on on, on Job and what we're talking about in in the mornings. It's like, really? When I'm going through suffering, when I'm going through loneliness, when I'm going through hard times, when I'm struggling with disease, I'm supposed to worship. Worship in the Bible does not mean I'm dancing and smiling and singing. The praise that constantly comes from my heart may be more frequently is the heart that is crying out and hurting and in pain. But in my suffering, in it, God is praised. Even when I'm going through hard times, their life is full of praise. And that doesn't mean joy. It can just mean a life that whatever I am, if I'm going through suffering, whether it's in good, whether it's a bad, whether it's in season, whether it's out of season, I lift it before God as a life of praise, is the idea in this. And then he says this, blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. And this idea of putting your strength in God, um, Paul talks about it frequently. He says, to this end I labor with all of the strength that he supplies. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This constant dependence, my God, I need you. I desperately need your strength right now for what is ahead of me. And I don't think that that's something that is, it, so many times in my life, I don't, I don't identify with that. And the reason why is because I'm not putting myself in situations where I desperately need his strength. When we set up camp and we make our home and our hearts aren't set on pilgrimage, we stop having that need and that dependence I wonder if there's something that you absolutely need where you just lose it if you don't have it. Your coffee in the morning, um, breakfast, sleep, something that you're like going to cry if you don't get it soon. I desperately need this. Have you ever been around somebody that was like that with prayer? That said, I, 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 have, I have to go right now. I, I have to. I can't. I need to pray. I need to come into communion. I need to come into fellowship with my God. There was a woman who meant a great deal to my life when I was young. Her name was Sharla Markham. And this woman, um, at first I thought she was weird because she prayed constantly over everything. I remember one time she couldn't find her car keys and she stopped and we started praying. And I was thinking, are you serious? And over time, this woman became an amazing influence in my life because it was as though God were present all of the time, and he was her king, her Lord, everything. I need you. I depend on your strength. Um, so he talks about those whose strength is in him. It, Paul says in this incredible verse in second corinthians twelve he writes But he said to me, speaking of God, he said this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Um, This God that is continually supplying what I need. We're going to talk about this again when we get to a verse later in this chapter, where it says this powerful words, They go from strength to strength. Depending on this God um, in their life. But then he says this, and this is where I really want to emphasize the message this morning. They have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Now I'm curious. I, I don't know. Um, I, you might think that I'm constantly in the NIV because that's what I use, but I, I'm not addicted to any version of the Bible. But here, um, there's a lot of diver- diversity in what your versions say. How many of your Bibles say um, the highway is in their hearts or something along those lines. Does anybody have that? I'm seeing quite a few hands go up. Highway in their hearts. Um, The the Hebrew actually does literally read, in their heart is the highway. Um, The NIV took that and said, hey, it's about pilgrimage, and I like both translations, but it should read, I mean, more literally is, the highway is in their hearts. This is how they live their life. Um, God presents himself through scripture as this kind of a God. Um, Noah, he sends him out and he says, this place is not your home, which Noah was extremely excited about. Start building a boat. I'm sending you pilgrimage, right? Right. Abraham, uh, Genesis 12, God calls him and he simply says to him, I need you to set out and go to a land that I haven't shown you yet. Can you imagine? I mean, just put yourself there because Hebrews is going to talk about it. Hebrews 11. Imagine if I were to go to Melinda today. Imagine if you were to go home to your wife and say, honey, we're moving. Where? I don't know. We're going to pick up and go. No. Are you kidding me? He picks up his family. He leaves everything he knows, and he doesn't know where he's going. And the only thing that he buys along this journey anyway is a grave. He doesn't purchase anything except for a tomb. And that's it, because his home wasn't in this world. This is what Hebrews 11 says about him, and I'm going to try to tie this in. Um, beginning in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, it reads, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made it his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Just talking about this idea of living in tents. Now hold on to that. Do you remember? Okay, so, so we talked about Noah. Then there's Abraham. Then there's Moses. When God leads the people out, again, we have this idea of pilgrimage, leading out. And they live for 40 years in tents. And the entire focus of... um. If we go from Exodus to Leviticus, the entire focus is, God, don't leave me. I need you. I need your presence. God says, I won't go with you. You're a stiff-necked people. And he goes, I won't leave this place unless you go with me. God says, I'm going to make my tent among you. And I'm going to live among my people. And they would follow him wherever he went as pilgrims. And then when David begs him if he can set up a house for him, I love God's response. This is 2 Samuel 7. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Um, Even God presents himself in this way as a pilgrim moving through this world with purpose. Um, there's a scene I kind of want to put before you. We sang Holy, Holy, Holy uh, just a couple of songs ago. Um, I don't know how you picture heaven. Um, our ideas of heaven are going to be very, very different. I am an introvert, so my idea of heaven is just sitting in a massive open field with nobody around. God is going to surprise me with something more beautiful than that. I know that. But whatever your idea of heaven is, these pictures are painted in Scripture, and, and I'm coming out of, like, this is Revelation 4, this is um, Isaiah 6, uh, this is Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. You have similar images of this throne of God, and, and you have cherubim surrounding the throne, right, And, and they're praising God, crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Ezekiel, it describes this throne as these cherubim and their wings are connected and one looks like a man, the other a bull, the other, the other a lion, the other an eagle. And, and they, they, they constantly cry out, holy, holy, holy. And it says above their wings is an expanse like sapphire and above the sapphire, this throne. What I want to show you about those chapters is something really amazing, particularly in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is written in the context of the destruction of the temple. A place where they considered, this is where I'm going on pilgrimage to. This is God's throne. This is where it says that the temple has been destroyed. All of the exiles have been let out. They're they're on their way to captivity uh, in Babylon. And it says, they're by the river Kabar. I don't know how to pronounce that word, but they're by this river. What's beautiful about the imagery, we focused on the angels and what must he- heaven must be like and the praise of heaven be like and this great throne scene. What you're seeing in Ezekiel is a chariot, not a throne. It's the wheels. And all of this is what's important is God being mobile. And the most, sac- most sacred thing to me in the book of Ezekiel is not how grand this great throne of God is, but where it is. Because it says in Ezekiel that he went up from the temple and it appears where? By the river Kibar. With the exiles. That thought they had been driven from God's presence. And Ezekiel says, no, God's presence is picked up and he is right here with his people. Even now. He also is on the move, Jesus, throughout his ministry, come follow me every single day. We are moving. We're going somewhere. Guys, the reason this is so important and the reason Psalm 84 hits home with for me is this idea of pilgrimage, going on a journey, going somewhere together means this, we are constantly moving forward. We cannot sit and be stagnant in our lives. It means, it means this. We are living this journey, on this journey, with purpose and with direction and with hope. It is about moving forward. A call I got a um, couple times this last week is from a young man that has inspired me um, a great deal. And he's in a church. And this is frequent. I I, I get calls like this fairly frequently, but this one in particular really hit home with me. And he said, you know what? Everyone, it's a culture of division. It's a culture of fighting. We fight about everything. And that's what we do. And we've lost sense. And he goes, I don't know what to do for myself and I don't know what to do for my family because this doesn't feel like God. God. And and I'm going to say this. He didn't say this, but I'm going to say this. And it sure doesn't sound like pilgrimage. It doesn't sound like that. We get this culture because we lose sense of our purpose. We lose sense of our direction. But the reason he inspired me is this. He said he just began to pray. And this man who, he says, I'm shy. I'm I'm not that super outgoing person, but I want God to make a difference in my life. This man started getting members of the church, six or nine, just to come to his house and pray together and talk about what does it look like if we live by the Holy Spirit and what is the church supposed to look like today? Um, this, this is so meaningful to me because this church and the attitudes of the body have meant a great deal to me. Um, and I've learned this in working with Bob, is back here, and his wife, Laura. They came to us, Really is just a gift from God. And, and, and working with them, I thought, wow, Bob and I have absolutely nothing in common. I mean, nothing. We are so different in the way we think and the way we act. But the man, they are in the trenches going to war. And I think it's so true that if we are active in the ministry that God has called us to, our differences are totally okay because we have work to do. And when people are working hard, they are not dividing. When work people are working hard, they are not complaining about one another. When our hands are calloused and our knees are dirty, we have bigger things to worry about. And that has meant a whole lot to me as part of the body here, that we keep moving forward, keep working with everything that's in us. Um, growing up in church, and you're familiar with this, and I hit on this a lot because it's super important to me. I grew up in the Austin area, and, and much like it is here in, in, in most places, church is about preference. It's, we, we treat churches as though they're restaurants, and we talk about them as though this is my flavor, this is your flavor, this is what makes my restaurant successful, this is how your restaurant could be more successful like my restaurant. That is how the West sees church, and that's the way we talk about church frequently, what I like, the types of songs I like, the type of worship I like. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about something so much greater than those things. And if I were to go to a church in America, and I, this is something I've shared a lot with the AIM program, uh, because when AIM students frequently would go, and this is a, a missions training program with young people in Lubbock, Texas, when they would train to do mission they would go to foreign countries, they would go to these different countries, and they would experience something that was profound to them. They would experience a different culture, maybe a different way of doing church. And, and there's a, a pressure we would put on ourselves, because you're only there for two years, and you would put a pressure on yourself to make a difference, to make an impact. In those two years, if you don't, you feel lazy and you start complaining. And this is a whole a trend that we started developing and I started seeing, but you know this, Coming back from the AIM field, more than 50% of AIM students stopped going to church. True of our universities as well. True of Oklahoma, true of Harding, true of most of these. Missionaries would go out and more than 50% stop going to church when they come home. Why? And that is something that terrified me when I found out these statistics and prayed and talked to some of the leaders of these groups. Why is that happening? Because you go and you experience what church could be like in that culture. And you come home and this is no longer a culture. This is home. And we come home critical of the way everything is run and done because I don't like your restaurant. And that is the way we have been thinking for too long. But in the kingdom of God we are pilgrims. On a pilgrimage. That means we're, we're going to get to this next week which is just my absolute favorite verse. As they pass through the valley of tears, uh, that's what the word "baka" means. As they pass through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. They transform their environment. They will not complain about their environment. They will transform their environment. They put the pressure on themselves by the Holy Spirit to say, God, work through me. Make a tr- change through me. Um, one last story I want to close out with that has meant a great deal to me. Um, I shared with you months ago a picture of uh, when I was just, just out of high school, um, standing next to a little girl. She was about seven years old. Her name is Veronica. Veronica today has is, is become just this amazing. She contacted me this last year for the first time since she was a little girl. And now as a woman with a child of her own, she's working passionately with churches, she and her husband, to try to work. And she said the exact same thing. She said, Jeff, what do we do? The men, she actually targets the men, which is fair. She says, the men have so much pride and all they do is argue and fight amongst themselves. What do we do as a body to, to, to demonstrate the spirit of God in us? How do we do that? And... The truth is, I have no answer to those things. I don't know. I just know this, that as a body, what Psalm 84, fleshing itself out in us means this, particularly some of the men. It means this, having a life so rooted in the Holy Spirit that you look up at others and you don't see anything but opportunity. I'm going to allow God to work through me to serve in humility and make a change. I'm going to be the tree that God planted me as and I'm going to bear the fruit that He called me to bear while I'm here. That's the kind of worship God is looking for. I want to close with a prayer just for um, our body, uh, for the church here, um, and for maybe you personally, if, if you needed to hear this message. I want to pray for a heart. Um, again, the Greek, um, the Hebrew is literally... The highway is in their heart. They are moving forward. They're moving towards a goal, and they're living with purpose. And I want to pray for that unity of the body, that we don't think like the West has largely trained us to think about this church versus that church. This is how, this is how to better do it, thinking biblically um, and less corporately. How do I represent the spirit of God in this place? And how do I demonstrate unity? How do I think less like Meadowlark? And more like kingdom? How do I think like that? And so wherever I go, um, just imagine this. Were you to go into... Uh, My first dream mission field was Zimbabwe, Africa. I wanted desperately to go to Zimbabwe, no idea why. But were you to go somewhere, and you go into this hut, and there's a bunch of new Christians, And, and these people barely know who God is, and their worship service looks pathetic. They don't have the timer that starts their worship service. They don't even have a sound system to squeal. They're disorganized. Things are crazy. Everything is everywhere. That guy was not focused. That went wrong. That was off and all of that stuff. Would you go in as a missionary and say, wow, you guys are so out of whack. Let me teach you how to do church right. Nah. You would go in and you would celebrate the children of the kingdom and you would encourage their spirits. How do we bring that here? Um, my Father, I'm begging you for wisdom. Uh, I loved class this morning, God, and you know my heart. I, how do I find it? How do I get wisdom? Um, I pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, bless us with wisdom, true wisdom that comes from you, so that we would see one another clearly, So that we would see this path of pilgrimage that we are on for what it is. That we would live life with that kind of purpose. And um, God, just just allowing your spirit to flow through us. Um, I pray, Father, for your kingdom, your church, your people. I pray, God, that we will not think like the American West wants us to think. I pray, God, that we would just be a people that are unified and identified by your Spirit. And our joy and our beauty doesn't come from having a worship service that goes this exact way or whatever, but it comes from a life that is deeply rooted in a walk with you, that bears the kind of fruit that shows that we're yours and I pray God that you we would have that one voice that cries out the the salah that together we lift up one shout to you through each of our gifts through each of our abilities that we would see the beauty of your people on this pilgrimage to your throne I love you father so much for the your spirit at work through this psalm it's in the name of Christ we pray amen Let's stand and worship our God.